In a sacrament called the anointing of the sick, the church continues Christ's work of healing. But not everyone who's prayed over, even by a priest or a bishop, is healed. At least not in the way we expect. This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore healing and the anointing of the sick. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. started, I want to share our opportunities. If you want to support everything we do at Awaken Catholic, consider becoming a member of the Awaken Nation. The Awaken Nation is a community of patrons who, for as little as a couple dollars a week, support the work that we do here. Go to awakencatholic.org forward slash donate to join the nation and unlock some bonus content too. If you want the best experience of everything we put out here at Awaken Catholic, consider downloading the Awaken app. The Awaken app features audio and video of all the shows, discussion boards, an opportunity to interact with the show hosts, premium content if you're on the the nation, prayers, and music. Go to theawakenapp.io or search for the Awaken app on the Google Play Store or your Apple uh, App Store. We are also partners with Holo. Hollow is a Catholic meditation app to help you find peace and grow in your spiritual journey. It features sleep stories, guided meditations, a course on how to pray. And if you want to try the full version of Hollow, please use our partner link at hollow.app forward slash awaken. And if you want to see anything that I am working on, go to my website at becominggift.com. And if you want help applying any of the ideas from the shows, you can join my coaching and spiritual direction practice at becominggift.com forward slash coach. This episode of Physically Spiritual is about a sacrament, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. Here in season two, we're journeying through the three-legged stool or these three elements of life that when put together um, are, are sort of the engine or the way that we grow closer to God and become more like God. So these three, uh, these three legs of the stool are the sacraments, uh, deep, meaningful, mystical prayer, contemplative prayer, number two, and third is the ascetical life, mortifying our flesh. So our last episode was about fasting from food. Uh, this episode, we're talking about the sacrament anointing of the sick. And in our next episode, we'll be talking about the discernment of spirits. But in the second season of Physically Spiritual, we've been cycling through these three topics, going through the sacraments, going through contemplative prayer, and going through different forms of asceticism. So we're now here on the fifth episode on the sacraments, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. The anointing of the sick is, along with the sacrament of penance or reconciliation, a sacrament of healing. Uh, This uh, sacrament has a foundation in the scripture. In James chapter 5, it says, Is anyone among you sick? He should summon the presbyters of the church, and they they should pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven." So, so in this um, in this passage is where we get a glimpse into what the early church did, that first generation of Christians, that when they were sick, they, they called on a presbyter. That word presbyter, um, through different languages, has come to English, and it's our word priest. 
So when we see presbyter in the New Testament, we think priest in the Catholic context, even though a literal translation of that word is elder. Um, so this is where many other Christian faiths get this idea of having elders. Uh, so we would anoint, we would summon the priest, and he'll both pray over them and anoint them with an oil, a holy oil. And the prayer will save the sick person. Now notice the scripture doesn't say that the prayer will heal the sick person, but will save the sick person, right? So there's a clue here that this sacrament, the the definite effect of it is a spiritual effect. And while there may be a physical healing, it's not always the case. Um, And if he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. So there's a spiritual effect to the sacrament. Uh, But why is that the case? You know, why isn't everyone that's prayed over healed? Why, Why didn't Jesus heal everyone when he was walking uh, on the earth 2,000 years ago? And and why, when we pray over people, sometimes they don't experience healing? This is a very difficult question to answer. And and oftentimes, I think people struggle with the faith, um, not just when they don't experience healing, but I think especially when loved ones don't experience healing. You know, it's the, the broken heart of the parents of a suffering child or a child who's passed away. And they're left questioning, you know, Lord, where were you? When my child was sick, you know, it's the, the person whose spouse has passed away after they prayed for healing or, or somebody who has some chronic illness that just won't go away. Uh, and no matter how much they call to the Lord, it seems like maybe he doesn't hear them, right? How do we uh, answer that question? How do we make sense of that suffering? So I want to start there before we dig into the practicals of the anointing of the sick. Paragraph 1500 of the Catechism states, Illness and suffering have always been among the gravest problems confronted in human life. In illness, mankind experiences his powerlessness, his limitations, and his finitude. Every illness can make us glimpse death. Right? So, so there is a real suffering and illness. Right? The, the faith, even though we believe in a life to come and an eternal life, even though we believe that, that our Lord has overcome death on the cross, we still recognize that there's a real evil and suffering and pain and illness, that there is something difficult about that, that in every illness we have, in a sense, a foretaste of death. You know, it, it's a sign that points to ultimately the death of sin. Paragraph 1501 states, illness can lead to anguish, self-absorption, sometimes even despair and revolt against God. It can also make a person more mature, helping him discern in his life what is not essential so that he can turn toward what is. Very often, illness provokes a search for God and a return to him. Right. So in a sense, every illness is, is a fork in our road. Right? We can go one of two ways. The illness can lead to just a greater anguish, a meaningless suffering, a self-absorption, a despair, a loss of faith. Or that same illness can actually help us mature and, and grow deeper in our faith, help us to, to more focus on what life is truly about. You've probably met someone who's ill, and, and after they experience that illness, um, it's like everything in life made more sense. There was a new context, and they were able to let go of things that weren't essential to them. So the illness can even provoke a search for God, realizing that we're giving our lives to meaningless things. right? So there's this, this fork in the road that illness um, presents to us. And, and even psychology and, and modern medical science speaks to this, that um, there's a deep connection 
between our mindset and our healing. They go hand in hand. Um, so uh, there's uh, different studies out there of people who are experiencing chronic disease, uh, chronic pain, or other symptoms that the, the mindset of the person actually affects the severity of how they experience those symptoms, whether it be an alleviation of chronic pain, an alleviation of symptoms, especially there's been research done around people recovering from from cancer and the side effects that go along with cancer treatment. There's even been research and studies done of people who have some kind of um, chronic illness in their family. And the people with a more positive mindset actually have less likelihood of contracting those diseases that have gone along with their their genetics or their family tree. Um, so there's this deep connection between mindset and healing, what's going on in our in our mind and what we're experiencing. This body-brain connection is very powerful. And, and some people um, even experience, call this a placebo effect. It's one of the most reliable effects in medicine that this shift in mindset has a, a powerful shift on our experience of the pain and suffering we're going through, right? And this is essential to recognize in the context of this sacrament, because as we hinted at earlier, um, the sacrament of anointing of the sick isn't directly ordered to just the healing of the body. That may or may not happen. It very rarely happens, actually, but it's ordered toward the healing of the soul, to the healing of the mind, the psyche. Um, so in that healing, it, it does have a positive effect on the person going through the suffering. And, and that positive effect can shift that door, that swinging door to where the healing or that, that suffering, that healing process is either going to push us further from God or draw us closer to God. Right. And, and that's the effect of the sacrament is that in our suffering, it can direct us and order us for it to be a way of getting closer to the Lord. Let's pick back up with our catechism. It's important that God is not far from our suffering. We actually believe in the God who suffered with us. So paragraph 1505 of the catechism said, Moved by so much suffering, Christ not only allows himself to be touched by the sick, but he makes their miseries his own. He took our infirmities and bore our disease. It's a quote from the scripture. He says, but he did not heal all the sick. His healings were signs of the coming of the kingdom. They announced a more radical healing, the victory over sin and death through his passion. On the cross, Christ took upon himself the whole weight of evil and took away the sins of the world, of which illness is only a consequence. By his passion and death on the cross, Christ was given a new, has given a new meaning to suffering it can henceforth configure us to him and unite us with his redemptive passion. So Jesus isn't far from our suffering and illness. Jesus did suffer. In a sense, he suffered the most of any human, you could theorize, based on what he went through in his passion and death. Then you add in there the, the psychological element of taking on the sin of the world and the spiritual element of taking on the sin of the world. Right? What happened to Christ physically in his passion is, in a sense, just the tip of the iceberg to what was happening psychologically and spiritually by taking on the sin of the world. So Jesus doesn't stand aloof from our sufferings, but enters in healing many people in his mission as a sign of his kingdom to come, but then 
taking on the suffering himself. So Jesus didn't come to take our suffering away. He came to give meaning to all of our suffering. And that's something the world cannot offer us. Right? Some people will indirectly give meaning to their suffering right? by going through a disease. Then they might take on the cause of helping other people go through it too. Right? So they use their experience to a good end secondarily after the fact. But Jesus, in a deeper level than that, came to give purpose to our suffering. Right? St. Paul says that we fill up what's lacking in the sufferings of Christ. This doesn't mean that Christ's suffering itself was insufficient, but Christ chose to make us essential, to leave space for our suffering to be essential, that, that we would be important, that our suffering is taken up with his suffering and to become part of the redemption of the world. We participate in Christ's own suffering. And this is the, the effect of this anointing of the sick. And it's in this context that it makes sense that Christ doesn't heal everyone. The healings that do happen are actually meant to be signs that point us to the kingdom to come. Right, Paragraph 1507 of the Catechism, The risen Lord renews this mission. In my name they will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And conforms it through the signs of the church, performs by invoking, invoking his name, these signs demonstrate in a special way that Jesus is truly God who saves. Right? So physical healings are, are a sign of Christ's presence and a sign of God's kingdom. They're not an end in themselves. Paragraph 1508, then to finish this thought. The Holy Spirit gives to some a special charism of healing so as to make manifest the power of the grace of the risen Lord. But even the most intense prayers do not always obtain the healing of all illness. Thus, St. Paul must learn from the Lord that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, and that the sufferings to be endured can mean that in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. All right, so some people do have a special grace of healing. They have a special um, ability to heal. And in season one of, of Physically Spiritual, I, there's an episode about supernatural healing. I'll link it in the show notes where I actually give some practical guidance that I've learned through the way of how to pray over people, how to intercede and to ask the Lord to heal. And the Lord does heal. I've, I've seen it in my life, both witnessing other people being healed and also groups of people that I've prayed with people being healed as a result of that prayer. Uh, so the Lord does work these healings as a sign of his kingdom, as a way to encourage faith, as a way, as a, as a sign of his presence and his love for his people. But God doesn't always heal. Sometimes God leaves the illness there. Um, and this is difficult. This is a true suffering and it should be wrestled with. We shouldn't minimize that. We shouldn't tell people that it shouldn't hurt them because of heaven or something like that. No, no, it's true suffering. It, it is meaningful. Uh, but we can have faith that God's always doing what's in our best interest in light of eternity. Right? So God isn't, it's not, we're not not being healed because we don't have enough faith. Right? To tell someone that can actually be a form of spiritual abuse. To be like, well, it's not working because you don't believe. No, that's not how it works. Um, well, actually, it's the opposite. God heals as a sign to build people's faith up. <laughs> so from that perspective, somebody's lack of faith might actually be 
make it more likely that they would be healed, right? It's, it's not because of our lack of faith. It's because it's not actually in our best interest that we would be healed if God withholds the healing. Or sometimes it's like a yellow light. It's like a not yet, meaning the healing is to come, but in the future, in the context when it is actually best for us. So whether or not healing happens always has to be interpreted in light of faith and in light of God's eternity. And this is because in our suffering, um, all of that has meaning now in light of Christ's cross. There's, there's a famous scene of uh, St. Teresa of Avila where she was, uh, she, I, I don't I remember if she was in a wagon or riding a horse, but she was uh, kicked off of it by a bump or something and ends up on the ground. And she proclaims, you know, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. <laughs> a, a very just authentic moment of frustration, but but shows her intimacy with the Lord. Um, there is a real dynamic in the spiritual life, though, that that a lot of the great saints go through some of the worst suffering, uh, psychologically, spiritually, and physically, going through grave illnesses, early deaths. Um, so the Lord doesn't come to take our suffering away, but comes to give it meaning. And sometimes even lavishes sufferings on those he loves because it's a redemptive work for the world. And this is, it's difficult to face that reality. Um, so I would encourage you to enter into that mystery with, with a subtle, supple heart, um, a vulnerable heart. Um, so now let's go through the three stages of our sacrament. How does the anointing of the sick actually happen? First, the, the sacramentum tantum, the sign itself, that first la- layer of the sacrament. What's actually happening in the sacrament is a laying on of hands with an anointing with the oil of chrism, just as James chapter 5 says. Now, this anointing happens on the person's forehead and on their hands. or And, and then, if appropriate, the prayer and anointing can happen on this place of the illness. Now, that's only if the location's appropriate and the person's comfortable. Right? The effectiveness of the sacrament does not depend on the actual touching of the place of the illness. Right? So don't feel any pressure um, if you're the, the minister of the sacrament, who's the priest or the bishop, or the person receiving the sacrament, to touch the place of the illness if it's not appropriate or you're not comfortable. Uh, and then the, um, the prayer that goes along with it is for the, the healing and salvation of the sick person. So here is what canon law says about the prayer, it says the sacrament of anointing the sick is given to those who are seriously ill by anointing them on the forehead and hands with duly blessed oil, pressed from olives or from other plants, saying only once, through this holy anointing, may the Lord in his love and mercy help you with the grace of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord who frees you from sin save you and raise you up. A beautiful prayer. All right, who can be anointed? Catechism paragraph 1514 says, The anointing of the sick is not a sacrament for those who are at the point of death. Hence, as soon as any one of the faithful begins to be in danger of death from sickness or old age, the fitting time for them to receive the sacrament has certainly already arrived. And it's quoting previous church documents on that. Um, So anyone with a, a grave illness, meaning an illness that puts them in danger of death, so this could be because of old age. This could be a, a chronic illness that puts you at an increased danger of death. It could also be in light of a surgery or an operation 
that's significant enough. You know, every time you go under anesthesia, there's a chance you're not going to come out. Um, and then there's also, um, because of advanced age and being put at a danger of death. So, so the person can be anointed once for each particular illness. And then if there's an, an additional illness later on, or if their condition worsens, like there's, there's a step closer to death as a result of the illness, then the person can be anointed again. I've actually been anointed, um, three times, (laughs) Once I had a, a lung infection that the doctors were unable to identify and, and other times before surgery, significant surgeries that I had, um, replacing ligaments in my body. Um, so the anointing can happen in that case. Uh, now there is um, some misunderstanding around this and it's the when. So in church history, sometimes the anointing of the sick was called extreme unction, extreme unction. And this is particularly before the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s. This extreme unction, the sacrament was meant to be given to the person when they were at the point of death. Right. So the idea was you, you would actually wait to call the priest until the death was imminent and it was to be administered to the person at the point of death. Um, so in paragraph 1524 of the catechism, this is addressed. It says, in addition to the anointing of the sick, the church offers those who are about to leave the life, the Eucharist as viaticum. Communion in the body and blood of Christ, received at the moment of passing over to the Father, has a particular significance and importance. It is the seed of eternal life and the power of the resurrection, according to the words of the Lord. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The sacrament of Christ, once the sacrament of Christ, once dead and now risen, the Eucharist, is here the sacrament of the passing from death to life, from the world to the Father. So the anointing of the sick itself isn't just extreme unction. So it's a part of a group of things the church offers a dying person called the last rites, rites plural, meaning multiple sacraments and sacramentals that are all offered together. So whenever any grave illness puts you or or advanced age, physical psychological, spiritual illness puts you in danger of death, the person can receive the anointing. And then when the person's death is approaching, when it's becoming imminent, then the person can receive the last rites. So in the context of the anointing of the sick, the the church offers at the beginning of that rite an opportunity for the sacrament of confession. And then with that rite, the opportunity to receive Holy Eucharist, receive communion for the last time. And that final communion is called viaticum. And at the end of the anointing, then there's a special blessing, an apostolic pardon that can be offered for the person for the remission of the temporal effects of sin in addition to this. So the church offers this sort of holistic battery of spiritual tools for the person at the end of their life, these last rites that they can receive. So the anointing of the sick, it can be received earlier And then it's still, in a sense, extreme unction, but it's received in conjunction with these other sacraments as a holistic kind of toolbox the church gives to somebody who's dying. So now what are the specific effects of the sacrament? The reset sacramentum, the first stage or the definitive grace of the sacrament that's always there, is the sanctification of the state of suffering to incorporate the person's suffering with that of Christ's suffering. Right, that, that shift of that door where the, the, the suffering takes on meaning and draws us closer to the Lord. 
Paragraph 1521 of the Catechism says, Union with the Passion of Christ. This is one of the effects of the, of the sacrament. By the grace of the sacrament, the sick person receives the strength and the gift of uniting themselves more closely to Christ's passion. In a certain way, he is consecrated to bear fruit by configuration to the Savior's redemptive passion, suffering a consequence of original sin, acquiring new meaning. It becomes a participation in the saving work of Jesus. So by receiving the anointing, we're connecting our suffering to the sufferings of Christ. It's becoming part of Christ's saving work. Then the next paragraph, 1522. In ecclesial grace, the sick person receives the sacrament by freely uniting themselves to the passion and death of Christ, contribute to the good of the people of God. By celebrating this sacrament, the church, in communion of saints, intercedes for the benefit of the sick person. And he, for his part, through the grace of the sacrament, contributes to the sanctification of the church and to the good of all men, for whom the church suffers and offers herself through Christ and to the Father. Right? Christ offers meaning to our suffering. It's connected with his suffering, but also for the good of the whole church, for the salvation of other people's souls, uh, for grace to enter into the world that wouldn't otherwise be offered if our sufferings weren't offered through Christ a beautiful effect. All right, now the final stage of the sacrament, the res tantum, the, the reality itself of the sacrament. So first is a healing of the sickness of sin. There's a spiritual healing that happens. So the sickness of sin, a, a darkening of the mind, a, a turning of the will towards what's evil, right? the, the destruction of our human nature. There's this negative consequence to sin. So, so the, the sacrament has the power to heal that disorder, that sickness of sin in the person so that they can approach both their, their illness fortified by grace and more ordered toward the Lord. And in addition to that, approach their final judgment in heaven more conformed to the Lord too. There's strength for trial and perseverance in the trial offered in the sacrament. A paragraph 1520 of the Catechism says, there's a particular gift of the Holy Spirit the first grace of this sacrament is one of strengthening peace and courage to overcome the difficulties that go with the condition of serious illness and the frailty of age. This grace is a gift of the Holy Spirit who renews truth, trust, and faith in God and strengthens against the temptation of the evil one, the temptation to discouragement and anguish in the face of death. Right? There's, with every illness, there's a psychological battle that goes along with it. And along with that psychological battle is a temptation to sin, a stronger temptation to sin. I know there's been times in my life where I've been in the hospital for multiple days. And frankly, a strong temptation to impatience, right? To, to treat people unkindly, the people who are sometimes caring for you, family members, to be short-tempered. Sometimes um, it's a loss of, of trust in the Lord, right? That, that you've been abandoned or even a temptation to despair, uh, especially at the end of life, that the Lord has abandoned you, that the Lord maybe isn't even real, right? So we need strength and grace to persevere in these trials and to face them with God's grace. So 1523 says, it's a preparation for the final journey. If the sacrament of anointing the sick is given to all who suffer from serious illness and infirmity, even more rightly, it is given to those at the point of departing this life. It's the sacrament of of those departing. The sacrament of the sick completes our conformity to the death and resurrection of Christ. Just as baptism began it, it completes the holy anointings that mark the whole Christian life. 
right? So there's a completion in the anointing of the sick. You're, we're anointed with oil when we're baptized and we die and rise with Christ. We're anointed with oil when we're uh, confirmed and that completes our initiation. But there's another anointing then at the end of life. It's kind of a capstone to this whole thing of conforming our life to Christ. The anointing of the sick also has the power of forgiveness of sins. Right? It forgives all sin. It forgives mortal sin and venial sin. Now, with that said, the, the anointing isn't ordered to the restoration of divine life in the same way the sacrament of confession is. So in the last rites, the person's confession can be heard. And, and if it's possible, they ought to avail themselves to that. There, there's a, a different effect in the grace of confessing the sin as opposed to being anointed, right? So, so the church, actually, in, in the law of the church, is if the person has manifest grave sin or unrepented grave sin, I mean, they're planning to continue in their grave sin, the sacrament of anointing isn't appropriate in that situation, that the person should go to confession in that situation. Um, the sacrament doesn't have the power to forgive sin in spite of somebody not being repentant of that. So the anointing of the sick should not be used as a replacement for confession. But in each case, if you're anointed and for some reason cannot confess, the person should then bring that grave sin to the next opportunity for confession. The reason for this is the, the, the grace of the confessional, the grace that's offered is the grace to perfect our contrition. And, and by doing that, and then the additional grace offered, the, the grace of the confessional is the grace of then overcoming the root cause of that habitual sin, of that grave sin. So there's a special grace that goes along with the sacrament of penance that helps to root out that grave sin from your life. And, and it's not the same grace that's in the anointing of the sick, which is directed toward the preparation and uh, overcoming of the, the physical illness. Um, now, this is a subtle point, but it's not an either-or, right? It should be a both-and. Right? So there's an ultimately a mercy in it that if confession isn't possible, maybe the person isn't conscious, um, the person has to be alive to receive the sacrament, or maybe it's not possible to confess. Um, maybe you can't have privacy or something like that, or maybe the priest just has to anoint many people or something like that. So in those cases, the confession isn't possible. But then the confession should happen if possible, but the forgiveness of sins is offered through the sacrament, and that's ultimately a mercy. The final possible effect of the anointing of the sick is a physical healing. It is possible. Healing can happen physically as well as spiritually. But like I said, it's, it's not common, and, um, and when it does happen, it's a sign of the kingdom to come. Um, so we should go in with an expectant faith right, that the Lord is going to work miracles, but on the other hand, we should also have an accepting faith that what the Lord is doing is ultimately in our best interest. Um, so I would encourage you, if you're in a state of, of any grave illness, spiritually, psychologically, physically, to avail yourself to the sacrament. Talk to your pastor um, about the possibility of receiving the sacrament and, and receiving it even more than once if you have a chronic illness or advanced age. Um, because there is a special grace offered in this. Um, but this grace is a sign of the kingdom to come. So we should be praying for healing all the time, right? Pray for healing in our own life, that the Lord will, will restore us uh, to full health, that the Lord will, will make us a sign uh, that will bring others to faith. And also that we should offer prayer to others, that we should pray over others for the Lord to heal them because the Lord wants to work in our lives. 
wants to work spiritual healings and physical healings, even for the mundane struggles that we have. Um, so I think the sacrament also gives us encouragement that we turn to the Lord more and more, full of faith and full of hope and full of trust that he will heal us. This show and all media on Awakened Catholic is made possible by the Awakened Nation and the Hollow app. The Awakened Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org donate. Hollow is the only audio-guided Catholic prayer app focused on contemplative prayer and traditional Catholic meditation such as Lexio Divina, Daily Examine, and the Rosary. We here at Awaken all use Hollow every day and love it. To learn more or give it a try, visit hello.app slash awaken.